This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 20. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, apex depositions. That's the term that courts use to describe efforts to depose a high-ranking government or corporate official. It's a topic I covered in some detail in chapter seven of the book, 10,000 Depositions Later, third edition. And I included a lot of case sites in there. So if it's an issue you're facing, well worth the $49 investment. Okay, so what is an apex deposition? That term has been used to refer to a deposition where the proposed deponent is a high-ranking government or corporate official. So when you go to set one of these folks for deposition, you might trigger a motion for protective order on the grounds that forcing that witness to prepare for and attend a deposition will disrupt operations of the deponent's organization and that you can get the information from somewhere else. Now, this notion that a high-ranking official may be protected from deposition has its genesis in a U.S. Supreme Court case from 1941, and that's United States versus Morgan, 313 U.S. 409. In that case, the Supreme Court refused to allow the deposition of the Federal Secretary of Labor, saying, quote, top executive department officials should not, absent extraordinary circumstances, be called to testify regarding the reasons for taking official actions, end quote. Now, since that decision, this doctrine, the Morgan Doctrine or Apex Doctrine, if you want to refer to it that way, has been extended to government officials in much lower positions than federal cabinet secretaries. So, for example, here's a sampling of officials and executives that have been given protection under this Morgan Doctrine or Apex Doctrine. The heads of federal and state agencies, as we've discussed, governors of states, members of corporate boards of directors, state cabinet members, university presidents, mayors and deputy mayors of large cities, elected sheriffs, attorneys generals, senators and members of Congress, corporate presidents, police chiefs, and human resource officials. So that's the question of the day. What to do if you need to depose a high-ranking corporate or government official? And what to do if you represent one of those entities and another party wants to depose your top official? Well, first, you need to know the general elements or foundation of a Morgan Doctrine motion seeking to block a deposition of one of these covered individuals. And courts have devised different tests. Uh, In an active case being litigated by my office, where the lawyer in my firm sought to depose an elected sheriff, the federal judge, citing cases from around the country, applied a four-part test, and that's in the Odom versus Roberts case uh, that I've included in the show notes. So the court in our case, uh, just this month, said, to demonstrate that a high-ranking government official should be deposed, a party must show that, one, deposing the official is necessary to obtain relevant quote, first-hand information. Two, that the information possessed by the official is important to the case. Three, that the deposition will not significantly interfere with the ability of the official to perform his or her government duties. And finally, fourth, that the evidence sought is not reasonably available through less burdensome means or alternative sources. All right, so let's quickly talk about some general principles when setting or opposing an apex deposition. Principle number one, when considering whether to allow the deposition of a corporate executive or a high-level government official, courts will generally start with the basic proposition that a party seeking a deposition has no burden to show that the deponent has any particular knowledge. That's a basic proposition of Federal Rule 26, 
which says that we can inquire about any matter not privileged that is or may be relevant to a claim or defense. So high-level officials are not automatically given a pass or special treatment from being deposed. The party seeking to preclude the deposition has the burden of proof. So that's where we start with the heavy presumption in favor of allowing a civil litigant to depose virtually anyone who may possess relevant information or who may possess information that leads to the discovery of relevant information. Why is this mindset important? Because when you seek to depose a high-ranking government official or corporate official, the first reaction you'll inevitably get is a sort of heavy-handed attitude that, of course, this deposition is improper, and of course they're going to oppose it. And of course, you'll never depose this official. But that's not how it works. No one gets a free pass in avoiding a deposition, including high-ranking officials. Some lawyers, perhaps because they haven't actively litigated this issue, will read a case or two and act as if it's sanctionable for you to pursue the deposition. All right. Against that backdrop, and despite the broad right to depose witnesses or opposing parties, courts have adopted a rule that basically says a high-ranking corporate or government official can be protected from deposition where the witness in question lacks personal knowledge or where someone else can provide sufficient testimony. So when seeking to depose a high-ranking official, it's important to bear in mind that such officials are likely to be given heightened protection from your deposition. The principle behind this is that these individuals, unless given some kind of protection, might be prevented from performing their high-level duties for an organization if they're subjected to numerous repetitive or harassing depositions. And that makes sense. So the courts say, before we pull someone out of their high-ranking oversight job and potentially deprive an organization, an agency, or a community of their high-level leaders, there's got to be a showing, if the deposition is challenged, that the deposition is likely to produce or lead to the production of admissible evidence that the high-ranking official has and that cannot be obtained from someone else or from somewhere else. So the key question is, for both sides, does the high-ranking official have first-hand knowledge? And even if so, are there others that can provide identical or substantially the same information? So let's turn to some specific pointers now, some practice pointers when setting or opposing an apex deposition. Rule number one, focus on the actual involvement of the proposed deponent. Number two, focus on the importance of the deponent's role in the decision or the actions at issue. Number three, ask whether the deponent is currently in a high-ranking position or whether they've left and are no longer overseeing the entity. Some courts have said that it's the current position held by the deponent, not a former position, that is to be evaluated. So, for example, if you're dealing with the former CEO of a large corporation, if that's who you want to depose, and that person is now retired or perhaps in a very different capacity, courts are far less likely to extend apex protection to that witness. Issue number four, ask, is the deponent a named party in either an individual or official capacity? Five, ask, does the deponent have or lack firsthand material knowledge? Does this witness truly have personal knowledge? Often high-ranking officials, as you can imagine, whether private sector or government, haven't had a great role in a specific issue beyond perhaps adopting broad policies that might have led to the actions in question, or perhaps they were simply briefed about actions that were taken. Very generalized awareness that something was going to be done or did happen probably won't get you your apex deposition. Why? 
because in those situations, there are obviously going to be lower level uh, witnesses or officials that can testify firsthand about what was done. Number six, is the deponent's knowledge remote, limited, or duplicative? Issue seven, ask, can a 30B6 deposition, a corporate representative deposition, be used as a substitute? Pointer number eight, can documents or affidavits be used to flesh out what the witness can or cannot attest to? Consideration number nine, have affidavits been provided or should they? If the party opposing your effort to depose an Apex official hasn't provided affidavits in their uh, papers in opposition, that could be a sign that the witness does have personal knowledge and so doesn't want to attest to what they know or don't know in the context of the motion. If you're opposing an Apex deposition, if your position is solid, providing affidavits in my judgment is mandatory. In fact, the lack of affidavits is usually a red flag for both your opposition and the court that the witness isn't quite willing to make the same representations under oath about what they know or don't know as you might in the motions or papers that you file. Now, the lawyers in the IBM case, which I've cited in the show notes, did not file affidavits from the CEO of IBM or from their head of human resources. And that was clearly something that caught the judge's attention and that the judge specifically mentioned in the ruling. Practice pointer number 10. Is the deposition of the apex witness essential to the case? Or is the effort to depose the official uh, going to be about a modest or corollary issue? Is it a stab in the dark about what they may or may not know? Practice pointer 11. Can the impact of the deposition be minimized by imposing a time limit on the length of the deposition? If you are the party seeking to take the deposition, you might be able to tilt the court's decision in your favor by uh, advocating a limitation on how long you plan to depose the witness. If you are opposing an apex deposition, same thing. You might want to propose a time limit uh, so that your official isn't being harassed or unnecessarily taken away from their position. Practice pointer number 12. Is it possible to propose limiting the inquiry to certain specified subjects? So that's something else that the court could take into account in tilting the ruling for you or against you, depending on your position. Practice pointer 13. If an apex deposition is being sought, has there been an effort first to depose others or to use less intrusive means such as interrogatories or a 30B6 deposition? In the case currently being handled by my office, our lawyers had done exactly that. They served interrogatories to which we received boilerplate objections to some of the questions, not useful. We took other depositions first, not as helpful as we needed. We needed to talk to the top official directly. And we also took 30B6 depositions. And some of those 30B6 representatives said that the information that we were seeking would have to come from the sheriff himself. And that pretty much sealed it, I think, in terms of the judge's ruling allowing the deposition. And finally, practice pointer 14. Has there been or can there be a suggestion to conduct the deposition on a date and at a time and at a location that would minimize inconvenience? If you're the party seeking this kind of deposition, those are things to think about. You want to strip away as many potential objections as possible in order to tilt the court's thinking in your direction. Okay, so that's a wrap on this episode in terms of an overview of the law relating to apex depositions. I personally have never had a court grant a motion for protective order to block me from deposing a high-ranking official, and I think that's in part because I've been careful in the first instance about deciding when I really do need to depose a high-ranking official. And in part, it's because I walk through these factors 
in constructing my opposition to a motion for protective order. Uh, before we wrap up, by the way, I should mention that I've cited a half dozen or so cases in the show notes, as I try to do in these episodes, to help get you started on your research if you're facing this issue. And again, there are more sites in the book. I also try to provide you the federal case sites so that if you have access to the PACER database, you can actually look these rulings up. And you can also take a look at the party's filings, both for and against this kind of thing. Uh, those filings are usually outstanding in terms of their content, and they frequently contain clusters of case citations that you can make great use of. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. Those reviews and the positive ratings help float the podcast to the top of its category and will help others find it as well.